chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, some of you will know that I'm from Singapore, and you might know that it's also compulsory for all men at the age of 18 to join the army for, for two years. And the thing with that, that creates some problem whenever there's a gathering of friends. You see, when the men get together, um, the chat is always about the army, especially when they've just come out of it. And it's always about, you know, which unit are you part of? Which regiment did you serve? Like, do you remember the time where you so-and-so? And the trouble is that like, whenever there's a gathering, uh, the, uh, the ladies who are there, uh, you can see uh, their faces, they're really bored. Uh, they're rolling their eyes. Oh, it's, the, it's the army chat again. But we're not in Singapore. Uh, so here's a story for you guys. Uh, we are deep in the jungle of Brunei. It's a nine-day survival course. Uh, it's hot and humid. Uh, what we call a heat wave here, there, we call it normal. And to add to the experience, the, the bugs, they are plus-sized. Uh, you have flies that are the size of your palm. And to add to that, uh, mosquitoes are your constant companions. And food, uh, nine days of survival, all on two days worth of rations. And in one of the rations, uh, the pack uh, includes an accessory pack. You have biscuits, you have bars, and you have something like this inside the pack. Well, it's not really a bottle. It's one of those like um, powders that you put in, the isotonic powders. And that's my favorite um, uh, part of the accessory pack. So I don't like mixing it with water. Uh, what I like to do is I rip it open, I pour the sugar right into my mouth. It gives me a real morale boost whenever I'm feeling down. And day five in the survival course, I can clearly remember the scene. Uh, we are lost. We are stuck deep in a ravine, uh, deep in the jungle. Uh, the foliage is so thick, you know, you can barely see the daylight. Uh, we don't know where we're going, and my morale is, is, is rock bottom. And so the moment comes, I, I take the, uh, the, the powder out of my sachet pack, I rip it open, I, I pour it down, I, I taste the sugar, and I wait for the morale boost to come but nothing happens. Uh, I open my eyes, we are still stuck in the ravine. We're still lost, I don't know where we're going. And um, yeah, we're stuck at the bottom and so is my morale. Well, miraculously, we, we make it out, but not everyone makes it to the end. Some, they, they fall away. One of my friends, he gets a fever, he has to pull out. Another gets stung by hornets. And another guy, he dislocates his shoulder uh, twice. That's the jungle survival course. And that is perhaps a bit like the journey of faith. Uh, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. People get lost, they lose sight and they fall away. You know, it was hard for Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness. Right? They're thirsty, they're hungry, the enemies were threatening. And so what happened? The whole generation in the wilderness, they fell away. And I guess it's hard for us as we journey through life. Uh, occasionally we face persecution and suffering, but often it's just a daily grind, the grind of just being a Christian every single day. And we feel that the temptations of the world, the comfortable life, the false sense of comfort, if we are to assimilate with the world, 
or that forbidden relationship, which you know is not good for you. And last week we saw that the Christian community, the new covenant community, is the outcast community, the community which is synonymous to the rubbish dump, the ash heap. And so the journey is hard. Not everyone makes it. Uh, the longer you go on as a Christian, the more you hear about people falling away. Uh, people drift, people become lukewarm, people become cold. And maybe they still go to church on Sundays, but all zeal is gone. Uh, no zeal in doing good, no zeal in evangelism, just a comfortable middle-class life. So here's the question, how can we make it to the end? Uh, do we have enough to keep going? And so it's been my stated goal over the past few weeks, if you've been joining us, is that for all of us here, those in the room, or those in the call, and each and everyone who calls yourself a Christian, that in 10, 20, or 30 years from now, that you are still trusting in him, still staying the course, not shrinking back, but striving to enter in. So do we have enough to make it to the end? And the answer that I hope that we'll see this lunchtime is yes. Uh, we can make it to the end because we have more than what Israel had for the journey. And what we have is Jesus. And because we have Jesus, we have all we need to make it to the end. Well, we have come to the end of Hebrews and it ends with a prayer or a benediction. And when the passage was being read out, uh, you might think that maybe it doesn't really look like much, uh, just a couple lines, like a standard ending to, ending to a New Testament letter. But as we stop and consider uh, these two verses, uh, we will find that it contains all the resources that we need to make it to the end. Uh, the first thing to notice is that it is a prayer. And here's a really good Bible reading tip if you're trying to read the Bible for yourself. Whenever you go to a New Testament letter, whenever you see a prayer, slow down and consider, really consider what the prayer is all about. Because prayers, they, they often expose the, the pastoral concern of the author and what he really longs for his readers. So prayers, really important. Uh, but the next thing I hope we'll see is that this prayer, just two lines, is a clever summary of the whole book of what we've been seeing. And all the big ideas of the book of Hebrews is embedded in these two verses. And so it's a prayer that you can use to pray in the whole book of Hebrews. Uh, it's a prayer that you can take on your lips. It's a prayer that will help you to make it to the end. So look down again to verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, so how can we make it to the end? Well, firstly, uh, you pray. Uh, you pray to God who exalted Jesus. That's our first point for today. The God who exalted Jesus. Um, at, in its essence, what is prayer? A prayer simply speaking to God, asking him, making a request for him. 
You see, although he doesn't go right into the request, he goes into an extended description about God, but specifically what God did to his son. God exalted the son. I noticed the words there, brought up, uh, sorry, brought again. And the language of brought again is more accurately translated, brought up. Uh, Jesus was brought up from the dead. Uh, he raised Jesus up from the dead. And the reason why he mentions the resurrection from the dead, I don't think it's primarily apologetic. Uh, well, it's true, you know, there's real apologetic force to the death and resurrection of Jesus, historic event, in a geographical setting. It's a public setting in a historical context. And there were more than 500 witnesses to the resurrection. Uh, the evidence is compelling. There's apologetic force to the resurrection. But I don't think the authors are thinking about the apologetic nature of uh, the resurrection of Jesus here, uh, more likely it's theological rather than apologetic. And what I mean by that is the fact that he died means that he was a man. Uh, he had flesh. And so he experienced suffering, pain, and hardship. He experienced temptation, discouragement, and disappointment. And ultimately, he experienced death. You see, he's fully divine, but also fully man. And because he's man, he understands you. He understands me. You see, Jesus, sorry, God, he brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus. Amen. The language I brought up uh, not only refers to his resurrection, uh, but it also refers to the fact that he was brought up into heaven, his ascension. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with um, the rest of the New Testament, but the focus on the ascension of Jesus is perhaps one of the most unique contributions of the book of Hebrews to the entire Bible. And the fact that when he enters into heaven, sits down at God's right hand as king and priest, uh, it means that a single sacrifice for sins has been offered. It means that the definitive forgiveness of sins is on offer. It means that our conscience are cleansed. See, Jesus was brought up from the dead, not just resurrection, but also ascension, exalted into heaven. And that is where Jesus is today. Think about it. Uh, Jesus is alive. He is seated at his Father's right hand, interceding for us. Jesus is alive. I'm not sure how many of you are into Christian rap. Uh, there's a great song by this chap called Shailin. Uh, brilliant. And he has this really excellent song uh, called Jesus is Alive. Uh, I was going to wrap it, but I thought I would spare you uh, the misery and I will play the song for you uh, just to hear what he says. Elvis is dead, Picasso is dead, Jimmy Hendrix and Janis Joplin is dead, Marilyn Monroe is dead, however, Jesus is alive, Brando is dead, James Brown is dead, Princess Di and John Lennon, they're dead, Biggie Smalls and Pac are dead, however, Jesus is alive, give praise the king. And so that's the, that's the song, uh, it's very simple, so-and-so is dead, so-and-so is dead, but Jesus is alive. And he goes on, Buddha is dead, Muhammad is dead, Herod and Pontius Pilate are dead. However, Jesus is alive. You see, you get the idea. 
It's not the most complex lyrics, but it makes the point. Jesus is alive. And he is more than alive. He is seated at the Father's right hand, ruling and interceding as king and priest. And that's where he goes next. Um, you notice in the prayer that Jesus, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, the shepherd is the one who, who leads. Israel had Moses to lead them through the wilderness, but we have Jesus. The shepherd is also an Old Testament term for the king, but the throne that the king sits on, this throne, out of the throne, flows mercy and grace and help in time of need. Uh, this is a king who leads with kindness and mercy. He lays his life down for his sheep. And you think about the backdrop of leaders today, self-serving leaders in Westminster, we can see why this shepherd is called great. And lastly, the author also says that he was brought up from the dead by the blood of the covenant, the blood of the eternal covenant. Uh, the blood, the blood of Jesus, that is the focus of chapters 8 to 10. The blood that is better than the blood of animals. The blood that purifies our consciences. The blood that is a single offering for sin. The blood that establishes a new covenant. Israel had a covenant that was written on stone tablets. Uh, we have a covenant uh, that the law is written on our hearts. An eternal covenant mediated by a high priest who lives forever. Uh, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, a covenant which offers the definitive forgiveness of sins. And so this is the, the God who will answer this prayer. That is the God who brought Jesus up from the grave, up to his right hand in heaven. It's the whole journey of Jesus, uh, the U-shaped journey from heaven down to earth as a man, life from the dead, and ascension into heaven, all done by God. And if you've been following on in our series before, uh, for the past few months, you know that the whole book of Hebrews is structured around the journey of Jesus. Uh, the first couple of chapters is about his humanity. Chapters 5 to 7 about his resurrection. 8 to 10, his ascension into heaven. And so this prayer is not just closing greetings, but it's drawing on all truths that we have seen in the whole letter. It's the entire journey of Jesus done by God. The King of Peace, the God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, the one who is keen to reconcile people to himself, the God of Peace. When we have seen uh, that the author, he describes the person we speak to, this God. But we have yet to mention what the request is all about. And so our second point for today um, is the request. May God who exalt, exalted Jesus equip you to do his will. Look down again to verse 20. To verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you notice that the request to God is for him to equip us? And the word equip has a sense of supplying, providing, or even completing. 
uh, to supply all the necessary resources to keep going, to provide all we need. And notice the request is to be equipped with everything, everything good. So there will be nothing lacking to complete the race. You will have every resource that you need, but it will be everything good. Uh, he will put you through the right amount of discipline that is for your good, and not too much discipline that he will break you, but not too little that will leave you unchanged. It will be everything good. And all of that will enable you to do his will. Uh, his will, what is God's will? Uh, God's will in Hebrews, and I guess in most of the Bible, well, it's not about God's specific will uh, for your life. It's not about specific decision that you have to make, like which job to take, uh, which partner, uh, person to marry, which house to buy. But God's will in Hebrews is the will that Jesus obeyed. Uh, chapter 10, verse 5, you read it for you. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, this is the son speaking to the father, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. You see, God's will for his son was for him to go to the cross. So God's will is cross-shaped obedience. It is the willingness to go outside the camp, a willingness to endure the shame and the reproach a willingness to be obedient to the point of death. And so the prayer, uh, the request, is for God uh, to equip you, uh, to supply you with all you need, with everything good, so that you can follow in the footsteps of Jesus to do God's will. And that is how we will make it to the end. The God who exalted Jesus will equip you to do his will. The God who exalted Jesus will equip you to do his will. Do you notice there's real logical force to the prayer and how the first half and the second half, how they relate together? And it gives us real confidence that the prayer will be answered. See, firstly, God has the ability to equip you. Because he exalted Jesus, because he took him through that U-shaped journey, um, he has, because he has done it for Jesus, he can do it for you. He has a proven track record. He has the ability to equip you. But more than having the ability, he has the intent. The reason why God took Jesus through that journey was for you. And he prepared a body for his son so that he can help you. He made him high priest forever so that he can intercede for you. He made all those promises in the Old Testament. A forever priest, a new covenant, forgiveness of sins for you. And he's done it all because he wants to be reconciled with you. So he has the ability, but more than the ability, he has the intent. And God, who exalted Jesus, will equip you to do his will. And so when the journey is hard, uh, when you are lost, when you are stuck in the ravine, when the foliage is so thick, you can't see any daylight and you don't know where you're going, ask for help. Ask, and he will equip you with all you need. 
are not just an isotonic sachet for a moral boost, but a high priest who suffered when tempted so can help you when you are being tempted, who can sympathize with your weaknesses, who offers mercy and grace in your time of need, whose blood purifies, who eases your troubled conscience, who is merciful towards your iniquities, who remembers your sins no more, who will never leave you nor forsake you, who is your helper, who stretches out his hand to take hold of you, to pull you through the hard times, through death into resurrection life, and who will save to the uttermost. See, God, who exalted Jesus, will equip you to do his will. And so we can make it to the end. Uh, we can keep going, uh, not because of our own willpower, but because of Jesus, our high priest, the anchor of our soul, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And it is him who will bring us home. You see, we are not like Israel in the wilderness, who had Moses with very little resources. We have Jesus. He's alive. He is alive. He's alive today. So consider who he is. Look up. He is seated at God's right hand. Hold fast to the confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. There is mercy and grace at his throne, vindication and judgment under his feet for his enemies. Draw near to him in your time of need. And so we've come to the end of Hebrews, but it's definitely not the end of the journey. As we said at the start, my stated goal for time is that 10, 20, 30 years that all of us here are still trusting in him. So don't shrink back, but draw near. Hold fast to the confession. Jesus Christ is Lord.